Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 337 of the Fun With Cars Motorsports Podcast, or episode 24 of 2022. I'm Robin Warner, and with me as always, well, almost always, is Christopher Roche. And I'm pointing off to my right as if he's to my right. He is not. Chris, how are you? (laughs) Hello, Robin. Good. How are you? I'm well, although apparently directionally uh, challenged at the moment. Um, We just got through a pretty, uh, it it was like a slow ramp up, but turned into a pretty darn fantastic Singapore Grand Prix. But much more importantly for us, the silly season continues to be silly and uh, there's stuff to talk about, isn't there, Chris? There is lots to talk about. Uh, Should we cover drivers first? Hey, why not? Because I've got some hot news for you, Robin. It's exciting news. I'm sure you're going to be thrilled. But Alpine ran <laughs> a former world champion at Monza in their last year chassis. And he ran 18 laps. And it was described as being a flawless performance. So I think he's potentially, this mystery individual, a new top tip for the second seat at uh, Alpine. Do you want to know who it was? Jack. Villeneuve. <laughs> He's back, mate. He's back. <laughs> Isn't he like 77? I mean, really? <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, though, he's in his 50s, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not being, I'm not being entirely genuine with my expectation of him to get the second seat. It was to celebrate <laughs> his 25th anniversary of winning the title, uh, one of your favorites, the 97 season. I'm sure you still remember it very fondly. Oh, yeah. Um, Whenever I walk by my shrine. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, Uh, I guess I didn't hear reports of how baggy his overalls were, but I'm sure they were. (laughs) Yes, yes. Well, that's the hot tip. We really need to know how many sizes oversized were his overalls. I mean, I don't know what. Well, let's not. It's not worth it. Uh, Okay. So uh, I want to get some uh, real. So we talked about. Or I know I mentioned uh, Sonoda's been confirmed, right? Another year at Alpha Tauri. Zhao has been confirmed. Yep, another year at Alpha Romeo. Yep. What else do we've got? I mean, the big news that I'm there's two big things. Well, there's three big things. I just thought of a third one. The FIA. I do not like them, and I'm very upset. This whole it was confirmed that Colton Herta they're not going to do anything for a super license. Blah blah blah. So Colton Herta has, as as I understand it, since signed an extension with his Andretti contract for IndyCar, but uh, Colton is no longer in contention for that seat because the FIA deems an F2 driver uh, more viable to race a Formula One car than a race-winning IndyCar driver. Yeah, I think Colton Herta is out of the picture for Formula One for 23. That is absolutely correct. Sadly. And going <laughs> and moving on, I guess I said everything, didn't I? Yeah, I'm, I'm not happy about it. I'm not happy with the FIA, but I'm willing to move on. It's also, I, I am really perplexed by what's going on with uh, Ricardo. Well, so we've got three seats still available, right? We've got a seat at Alpine, one at Haas, and one at Williams, because Nicholas Latifi has been confirmed that he will not be yes. coming back to Williams. I was interested to hear Jos Capito's thoughts on that. He reckons that the season-ending fiasco that involved Latifi, uh, that ultimately cost Hamilton uh, the title, uh, really weighed heavily on him this year, both the, uh, the, the crash itself and then the aftermath. So... 
He thinks that impeded his performance and they both agreed that his level wasn't good enough this year and so that's why they're parting ways and nobody expects Nick to uh, be an option for the other two seats. So he's um, going to move on. We know that Stroll is going to keep the Canadian flag flying uh, with his dad's team at Aston Martin. So we've got three seats and we've got at least six drivers. So you've got Gasly, who's, a, who's definitely going to be on the grid next year, either in the AlphaTauri or the Alpine. Um, and then Hulkenberg, De Vries, Schumacher, Ricardo, and Giovinazzi are the other names that constantly pop up. And we talked about a couple of the other guys that are on the periphery a couple of pods ago. So it seems like, to your point about Daniel, even though he had a decent showing in Singapore, he managed to get a fifth place, um, not through any pace but he, he got this place well, behind his teammate yeah there was there was some clever racecraft here and there but certainly not qualifying speed and uh you know all, all the race typical pace, yeah. measures of performance <laughs> there was but craftiness the rumor, i'm gonna rumor i'm is, going to contend <laughs> the rumor is that he will be well paid to do absolutely nothing next year um and in fact any seat that he takes for next season wouldn't make him any richer he basically that would be any salary from that seat would be subtracted from his compensation from mclaren so there is no incentive to take a mediocre race seat for next year and Uh, as we all know no one wants to drive a formula one car it's brutal work it's worse than uh being at a cubicle working at a paper company (laughs) but you get paid well and that's why drivers do it so if he's not going to get paid anymore, why do it? That's a, that's a really good point. Well, I think, I think the, real, the real point is, will it improve his chances of a more competitive seat in 24? And so uh, of the options, um, you know, I mean, Alpine, I think Alpine would still be a very logical uh, choice for both Ricardo and Alpine themselves because he did well there not so long ago. Um, and, uh, and it is... A competitive car you could argue it's probably the fourth quickest car on the grid so i could see and it's a manufacturer team i could see that being a worthwhile option but the other two seats that has and williams aren't aren't really going to give anyone any new information about him than they don't already know and so maybe a sabbatical with a potential reserve role at another team like a mercedes might be might be a better option for him you know it's all about you know trying to get back into a competitive seat for 24 isn't it right but there's a lot of risk there of course with what competitive seats would be available in 24 if any right yeah i mean that's a huge huge question mark yeah it is yeah but you know uh, are has and williams likely to be competitive in 24 you know may maybe maybe not you know they're both on an upward trajectory but i don't think they're necessarily going to be fighting at the front of the midfield by 24 so you know you're basically just consigning yourself to see out the rest of your career in an uncompetitive car if you go down that road whereas if you look at a a year on the sidelines as a reserve driver um and then you know maybe he gets an opportunity to to slip into a mercedes for a race or you know a Mercedes-powered car for a race and does a you know a really fantastic uh, performance and completely changes everyone's current perception of him. That might be the best way to get a competitive seat, right? Um, but right now, every weekend he looks pretty slow compared to Lando, and it, it's just killing his reputation. Yep. No, I, I agree with that. 
Daniel Ricardo should move, move to IndyCar. I think that's the right decision. <laughs> well, he loves the U.S., doesn't he? He's a big football fan, American football he, fan. As I understand it, he has an apartment in Los Angeles. So, I mean, he's already got a foot in the door in a sense. Let's talk a little bit about the Haas seat. Uh, Formula1.com just had an article on it by one Lawrence Barreto. And based on that article, it almost sounds like Nico Hulkenberg has a better chance of that Haas seat than Antonio Giovinazzi. And it sounds like it's Hulkenberg v. Schumacher for that second Haas seat. Yeah, Gunter Steiner says he wants someone experienced behind the wheel. Now, is this the same Gunter Steiner who said he didn't want people who were experienced and wanted an all-rookie lineup just two years ago? Because we have gone completely full circle. I mean, we went from Magnuson and Grosjean to Schumacher and Mazepan. Now we've got Magnuson and, <laughs> Magnuson and Schumacher, and now we could go back to Magnuson and Hulkenberg. Presumably Grosjean's not available to come back and, and reclaim his seat. I mean, just absurd. We all could have told him that going with two rookies was going to be a bad idea. And well, especially so one that was clearly not up to it compared to the... I mean, come on. I mean, he was a he was an F2 or even maybe it was GP2 win, race winner, but not a championship contender in the support series. So what were you expecting? Yeah, yeah, I, I wasn't expecting much, but has he been called up? Is he going to have to fight in Ukraine now? <laughs> I mean, Could be quiet. I, I mean, look, Nikita Mazepin's career went as expected. The uh, world politics are playing the role that they're playing. I know he has been in zero conversations about uh, any future Formula One drives or IndyCar drives or IMSA drives or WEC drives, and all of that is fine with me. Yeah. So if so, let's let's play this out. So if Gasly stays at AlphaTauri and then Hulkenberg goes to Haas. Do you think there's a chance Schumacher might end up at Alpine? I don't really see that. He's a Ferrari development driver, isn't he? So I don't, I mean, for Schumacher, it looks very perilous because there are no, there are no seats available at Ferrari powered teams other than Haas who don't want him. So I don't, I don't see Schumacher on the grid for next season. I think he's going to be a reserve driver, honestly. Yeah, and, so, and ironically enough, it's Antonio Giovinazzi who is the Ferrari reserve driver, and that it's that's kind of it. It almost seems like Schumacher, Mick Schumacher, would be playing second fiddle to Giovinazzi, even in terms of those kinds of roles. Yeah, and Giovinazzi's being linked to the Williams seat, which which I I don't know. That's a that's an odd one. I mean, for sure, I think he'd be an upgrade on Latifi, but I don't think he's going to trouble Albon. And I don't really know what that does for anyone because Giovinazzi had a good a good innings at Alfa Romeo. You know, he didn't really take his chance, did he? You could say it was a very similar performance to Schumacher, honestly. And uh, although he was obviously up against a better known quantity in a former world champion than Schumacher was, but uh, that being Kimi Raikkonen. But the I just. I don't know. It's it's a weird one because none of these drivers still hit you in the face and say absolutely they should be in Formula One. Um, and, oh, and, no, that's uh, not true. One no does. One definitely does. Uh, Who's that? Nick DeVries. What, off one one race performance? Ah, uh, yes. I want him in Formula One desperately. Young, a, a, a Dutchman that isn't Verstappen. Yes, absolutely. 
it would be so nice to spread the orange out just a little bit. I mean, I agree. On the back of Monza, it was an impressive drive. Um, he probably will get a seat. But again, you know, it's one race, one race on a not particularly tricky track. Um, you know, Monza's not the most technically challenging. If he'd done that performance at Suzuka or Spa, you know, I might be, I might be, you know, more excited uh, about it. So, but yeah, I agree with you. He's probably likely to get one of the seats, whether and that seems to be either the Alpine or the Williams seat. Um, yeah, I, my my gut says Williams, but you know, you never know. There's lots of movement going on here. Well, and who do you think is going to take the Alpine seat then? You, you've ruled out Jacques. <laughs> uh, I, you know, it. I that one's tough. I have a hard time seeing. Gasly go to it because AlphaTauri doesn't have anything clever up its sleeves to fill the AlphaTauri seat. So, man, ah, I, you know, that one's, uh, that one's tough. Well, maybe, thinking about it, maybe I spoke too soon on Schumacher. Maybe he's willing to relinquish his Ferrari ties and go back to the team that used to be Benetton. Where is dad really, Ooh, you know, made his name? I see what you did there, yeah. Oh, it all makes sense now. I mean, and in many ways, it would be an upgrade, a car upgrade, really. It would be. And I tell you what, I, of all the of all the drivers ensconced at different teams, Ocon would be the one I'd want to go up against, wouldn't, wouldn't you? I don't believe <laughs> Ocon's really worth a long-term deal. I, I, would, I would fancy most people against Ocon, honestly. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, hell, Ocon kept... Pretty strong against Alonso, I thought, but you know, you're you're certainly entitled to your thoughts on Ocon. You've had them for a while. Uh, <laughs> so. I remember you you weren't entirely on board with the length of the deal that he got at Alpine, were you? I don't remember no, you being uh, too that, convinced. Either. That did seem that did seem <laughs> awfully luxurious for him. But hey, I mean, you know, he got it and he's still there. So Ricardo got the similar deal and was nudged right out. So. Ocon's doing better than Ricardo, you could argue. He certainly is. How about the six sprint races for next year? What do you think about that? Oh, God. I just... <laughs> <laughs> new lorry. They got a new lorry for it. Yay! Yes, and I'm sure it'll run on um, some biofuel. No, I think they're... I, 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 I have not gotten into the sprint format. I do not understand the point. And I certainly don't understand this six events of the year... It's been three. It just, it's just, I, I feel like you pick a format and you stick with it and people start to figure it out and get used to it over time. You're just always throwing curveballs for the sake of curveballs. It's just, it's just nonsensical to me. Oh, I see. So you'd like 24 sprint races. I would like zero sprint races, <laughs> but I would almost prefer 24 sprint races to six. Just like, okay, this is the format now, and we get used to it. Yeah, I, I don't... I still think that the reconfigured weekend, where you have quali on Friday, a sprint race on Saturday, and the full Grand Prix on Sunday, I actually quite like that format, because it ends the debate around killing Fridays, which was rumoured for a while, that they wanted to compress the weekend into just two days. And I think that's a bad idea for a whole variety of reasons, which I've expressed before. But I haven't always enjoyed the sprint races and sometimes they've been kind of dull but it you know it's it's another race um there's a bit more jeopardy um we still have traditional qualifying so i don't mind it as much as you appear to and i'm okay with 
slow progression to to a complete sprint race calendar eventually however long that takes i don't i don't have a problem with that well good i i listen i i'm not going to boycott formula 1 as a result so maybe <laughs> well, that's, will... a, that's a relief <laughs> i'm sure um is there is there anybody else any other seats any other news you want to cover well i think we've got to talk cost cap haven't we oh man yes please go ahead yeah so the big thing from the Singapore weekend, um, other than Perez uh, showing his mastery on street circuits, is and the fact that it rains a lot in Singapore, is that uh, there were a lot of rumours around the 2021 cost cap, which, as everyone knows, was $145 million. And uh, all the teams had to submit their accounts by the end of March. And the FIA was supposed to review and approve those by June. Um, that hasn't happened. And the rumour... Uh, the rumor mill was rife and a lot of comments were made that two teams seemed to have gone over the cost cap and they were named <laughs> Aston Martin and Red Bull. One with a, a minor breach uh, thought to be Aston Martin and one with a material breach, which is thought to be Red Bull. Despite the FI not having concluded uh, their checks and not having announced anything, um, there was a lot of debate over what penalties should be handed out and it made Christian Horner very mad that his team and his good name was being dragged through the mud. And today was supposed to be the day, uh, this is uh, Wednesday, October the 5th, when uh, the FIA confirmed who had or who had failed the cost cap uh, audits. And they've now postponed that to next Monday. Uh, so the plot thickens. Um, and there's a lot of people very angry about it uh, because they think that violating the cost cap gives you multiple seasons of benefit. So if you exceeded the cost cap in 21, then obviously you would get a benefit in that year and then probably also for the following year. And some teams even thought for the year after that too. So uh, Ferrari are unhappy because, you know, they're losing the championship this year, even though they have a good car. And Mercedes are unhappy because they lost the championship last year. Um, to one of the teams that have questionable accounts. So interesting, <laughs> interesting debates. Well, and there's, to add fuel to that fire, there's also been Red Bull's complaints about the cost cap this year and how untenable it is and how it must be adjusted. And they're clearly, anecdotally at least, saying that the way they budget, they cannot meet this cost cap based on the arguments they're making throughout the season, as well as all the developments that Red Bull has seen throughout the season compared to the other teams. There's a lot of raised eyebrows, certainly. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like the cost cap is open to interpretation. So like any part of the F F1 rulebook, you know, you have a lot of clever people looking at it and trying to find loopholes or gray areas or things that can be exploited. So you've got teams that have now created sister divisions that now do you know America's Cup boat design or you know production cars for Aston Martin and so these people are XF1 engineers that still sit in the same building but now the costs for them and and their desk and computer and and uh, electricity can now be passed uh, off onto a, a different company division. And so how that's all structured uh, and how you account for their time and how you could obviously never have a conversation in the coffee room about a problem that you might be having on your car with this individual who no longer really works for the F1 team. I mean, there's so many areas of gray. Apparently 
contentious uh, questions that have come up is how do you handle maternity leave and sick pay? Is that coming out of the cost cap? So clearly a lot of teams are interpreting the rules in different ways. And so um, some teams may have been a bit more inventive than others. And the FIA has to try and clear all of this up and make sure that everyone's approaching it in a fairly consistent way um, and that they're not just finding ways to, to exceed the cost cap and, and still uh, direct that towards the F1 effort. I mean, I found it fascinating, some of the Ferrari, a couple of different Ferrari people commented on this. So $7 million apparently could be up to 70 engineers uh, for Ferrari that they could have, they could have uh, put onto, onto this year's car. Um, if they'd exceeded the cost cap by seven million, and then uh, Benotto was saying that uh, uh, even even a uh, a minor breach of four million dollars could be half a second's worth of performance. Uh, wow. So y- there's a lot of you know numbers being thrown out, a lot of angst being expressed. Uh, but the reality is is that we all knew it was going to be difficult for some teams to get below the 145 mil because they're operating you know far above that and. You know, there were layoffs um, in some of the F1 teams and it's been a difficult adjustment period. Uh, and now there's going to be, uh, unfortunately, I think some sort of fudge to get everyone on side to somehow just, dis- I mean, because the, the penalties for a, a material breach are, are and include exclusion from the championship. Now, anyone listening thinks that that's an absolutely ridiculous notion. You don't have to go very far back in the sport McLaren. to remember that McLaren was no. excluded from the championship. That now their drivers, the drivers were seven, I believe. That was Hamilton's uh, rookie year with Alonso. That's right. I, and yeah. And they were they were found guilty of photocopying the Ferrari design manual. <laughs> um, which is a funny story in itself. But but ultimately um, you know McLaren is excluded from that season and both drivers uh, were not. We had Michael Schumacher excluded in the past for an egregious move um, in the 97 season, actually. So it has been done in the past. Drivers and teams have been excluded if they've been found guilty of, of you know, serious transgressions. So it's not impossible that it could affect this year's championship or last year's championship. Most people don't think it will, but it could theoretically if the breach is that significant. And it can be, I guess, the extra overspend can be linked to, to car performance. So um, it's it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out. Definitely so, and definitely worth keeping an eye on, as well as uh, keeping an eye on the Japanese Grand Prix. That's coming up this weekend. It is one of my favorite on the calendar. Definitely excited uh, to get to see them run through Sector 1. Uh, 130R isn't what it used to be, but... You know, there's still a lot to love about that racetrack, I think. I do also want to talk about uh, Petit Le Mans. It was, it was a very eventful 10-hour race. And at the end of it, it was Meyershank Racing that came out on top, winning the championship um, for Tom Blomquist, uh, Oliver Jarvis, and Elio Castroneves. My guest from last week, Ricky Taylor, they came up short, um, but only just. They were fighting for the lead and for the championship in the last 15 minutes of the race, but then had an issue and had to fall back. So um, congratulations to Meyershank Racing, to the drivers, and to Acura for uh, winning the final DPI season before uh, IMSA moves on to the LMDH platform. And, uh, you know, we have a very exciting endurance racing season coming up next year. 
And, of course, I would love it if you checked out my latest YouTube video. It is on the Hyundai Kona N. It is an SUV by name only, <laughs> if you ask me. It's basically a largest hot hatch. This thing is quite intense. It is very much specced out to be a real driver's car and maybe just maybe even a little too much for some folks like myself. But it is a really interesting car. There's a lot of strengths of that thing, and uh, it's definitely worth checking out. And, of course, I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcast. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. And tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. Woo, man, oh, man. I'm running on fumes here. Chris, thank you so much for another delightful conversation. Thank you, Robin. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. Goodbye.